Welcome to the Feel Better Naked Radio, where your host, Samantha Burgos, sits with influential beings to discuss how they feel better naked. Let's explore what it means to be you. Let's learn how to feel better naked. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Samantha. I'm super excited about this episode. Um, so I sat with Eri Guajardo, and she is just she's just that bitch legit we we discussed so much stuff so much vulnerable stuff like as i was going through the podcast editing it um i was just like oh my god i shared all this holy fuck holy holy fuck but i mean that's the whole point and that's why i do what i do i mean if it's we're not being vulnerable and honest and real then what's the point you know um in this episode we discuss uh sexual healing uh trauma um ancestral healing, sensuality, owning your femininity, reclaiming intimacy with yourself and with your partners and how important that is to feeling better naked. Um, I'm super excited for this episode and I'm so grateful that she took the time out to do this and share so much information with uh, us, you know, and I'm super excited about this episode. This is a two-part episode. This is part one. The next episode, uh, part two, will be released next Wednesday just because there's so much information and it was so long we just like went off talking which is not a bad thing but um i'm super excited and i hope you guys really enjoy this episode i'll have all her information in the show notes um go follow her at birth bruja on instagram and uh yeah i hope you guys enjoy this episode hey guys welcome to fear by naked radio this is your host samantha today i have the pleasure of talking to ari ari how are you doing I am super pumped to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for coming yeah. on. Uh, tell us a little about yourself and what you do. All right. So the intro to the world. Um, my name is Eri Guajardo Johnson. Uh, my pronouns are she, they. I am a mixed race, queer, um, rape crisis peer counselor. I've been working with survivors of sexual violence for over a decade and I've been working, I have to always give a shout out to like my home, you know, like the, like the place that raised me in this realm, um, a place called San Francisco Women Against Rape. It's a predominantly queer, um, but women of color led community-based rape crisis center based out of San Francisco. And, and it was there that I really, um, the realms of healing and social justice, um, you know, wove together. And so my whole work, honestly, in all my realms is founded upon the, the nest that they had built. Um, so in addition to supporting survivors of sexual violence um, as a holistic peer counselor, I also am a birth doula. I'm a birth worker. And so I provide, um, I, I do provide support to like general population folks, but I specialize in supporting survivors of trauma um, through pregnancy, through the actual birth experience and postpartum. And when I'm not doing that, I know it keeps on going. I, I, I wear, I'm a cat with many hats. So like, this is like my last, my last hat. So when I'm not doing that, <laughs> um, I, um, I'm uh, the founder and I run a online platform called Birth Bruja. And it's a place for intersectional, liberational, decolonial approaches to birth work, healing, and life. Oh, I love that. I think you're thinking cool. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, actually, I finished that and then I realized I'm like, I didn't even mention I'm a dog mom, <laughs> I'm a partner. I'm like, I'm like a plant mommy. 
I'm, so, you know, I've, I've got other things happening in my life, I swear. Not just, <laughs> I mean, just before I even mention that, that all sounds like a lot already. Um, I think it's so amazing. <laughs> how did you even find that work? Like, how did you get into that stuff? Like, where did you start? Um, I guess, like, yeah, how did you end up here? Oh my gosh, that's such a huge question. I don't know if we have enough time. Do you want the story about like how I got into my the birth work intersections, or do you want the story about how I got into working with survivors? I kind of want like I kind of want both, but <laughs> yes, yeah, a little bit of both. But try to like try to condense it because I feel like they right? they kind of interlink a little bit. I'm sure in a way, you know. Oh, they totally do. Okay, all right. Well, I have to set the scene. All right, so I grew up in Michigan and I moved out to the Bay Area right after college. And so I was in the Bay, I was in San Francisco specifically um, for just over a year. I was working two jobs in an internship and I still couldn't have paid rent, couldn't afford rent. So I was going from like sublet to sublet. Uh, I had like, as I mentioned, like no money. So here's the scene. It's freaking San Francisco summer. So it's cold as shit. It's like foggy as fuck. I'm in this dingy, dark sublet by myself. I have a pot of coffee and I'm eating a can of black beans and I'm wearing this fluffy turquoise robe that my mom got me, you know, for Christmas many years prior. So I'm like in this fucking cold ass kitchen having this moment of like, I, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I'm not doing anything brave. I'm like working at the front desk of a gym. I'm like working for a law firm job that like I fucking hate. Like I'm in an internship for work that I don't believe in. And basically I had this moment of like, you know, my younger self would be so upset because I'm just choosing these options that like they don't challenge me. I'm not really changing lives. I'm just like a cog in a machine, you know? And so I, and so therefore I sat down I whipped out my journal and I just made the top like five bullet points of like my dream work. Right. Okay. And then I, and then I looked it up in Craigslist and I came across this job for a rape crisis center that actually was literally across the street from the sublet that I was Get staying out. in at the moment. Get out. Yeah. And it was like, and then I'm looking at this, you know, the description and I'm like, wow, this place is amazing. There's like no way I'd be able to qualify for this job. And, and it was a job in development and in short development is a lot of things, but it's like community organizing, it's creating flyers, it's like fundraising. And that was shit that I had done for years prior to that, but I never, that was just community organizing, you know, I, but I had never known that I, that that could be a job. And so then I like accidentally qualified <laughs> and then kind of the rest is history. So it kind of, it very much felt like a universal lightning strike. Oh, and then one other thing for the story is I show up for the interview and I walk into this atrium and right above the door of the place where I'm being interviewed is a giant six foot neon vagina. And I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> I am home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. What it looks like? I'm almost curious. I want to Google that after like neon light vagina. Yeah. You should. It's actually, it's in the, the women's building. The building is called in San Francisco, the women's building. It's the first woman's own building in San Francisco. Um, and uh, yeah, it's housed to many, many amazing organizations. So, so yeah, so that was that. Yeah. And then flash forward to birth work. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a cat with many hats. And so I, um, 
speaking of cat, my child Manny. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. after holding a cat. <laughs> yeah, my child Manny is on on my lap, and he oftentimes likes to say things too. So if listeners hear, that's what that's what that is. <laughs> um. So yeah. So flash forward, I continued to do many multifaceted things. Um. But prior to that, or at the time, I was doing. I was like doing spiritual work I was studying indigenous medicine I was working at a rape crisis center like I felt like an octopus with many tentacles in different realms you know and so at the time I was also teaching yoga um and uh that's a whole other podcast about my my journey of critical analysis around teaching yoga but I digress um (laughs) um and so anywho yeah like I felt like I was very multifaceted but yet it felt very disconnected and so I it was suggested that I take a birth doula training and then I remember that actually before I even started working at the rape crisis center that was actually one of the paths that I wanted to look into was being a birth worker um and so I'm like all right I'm going to take this training to learn more about birth to better inform all my other work right like supporting survivors you know yoga teacher stuff, all the jazz. So anywho, I'm in the training. It was the second weekend. And all of a sudden, it was like, again, kind of like the universal like lightning strike. And I realized that in birth work, all at one time, I could be spiritual, I could be political, I could geek out about, you know, anatomy, I can get all hella upset about institutional oppression, like, all these parts of me, that felt again like very detached you know because a lot of times when i was in my spiritual spaces i was too political to be comfortable in those spaces but then i was also too spiritual to be comfortable in political spaces because a lot of times political spaces they actually don't focus on healing right they just talk about wounding and injustice and so so suddenly in birth work i was i was not just enough i was like more than enough you know it was actually um, they were actually really powerful tools to have. And so then I just hit the ground running. Um, and, you know, at that point too, right, I had been predominantly immersed in communities of color, let alone queer communities of color. I already had done, through my work at the Rape Crisis Center, you know, working on the hotline, medical advocacy shifts, like I already knew what it was like to be on, you know, the on-call life. So I knew that like, I did not want this shit to be an individual thing. I knew that this work was meant to be done collectively in order for it to be done sustainably. I came in, it's actually pretty interesting how, how much from the rape crisis work translates really well into birth work. And it makes sense, right? Because we're talking about bodies, we're talking about, uh, you know, autonomy, we're talking about patriarchy and rape culture, like, um, yeah, it definitely translated. And then, and then one, sorry, this is like the longest answer. I'm just telling you my whole life. Going, no. Okay. All right. So like one, one final part of that answer, which is that of course, of course, just like fucking yoga work, just like a lot of other realms that I was into, um, mainstream birth work is dominated by white heterosexual cisgendered Christian women. And so that's, that was the dominant culture's like foundation. And so what I knew also coming into this work is that I knew for my sustainability, for my inspiration to this work, I knew that I needed to make connections. I needed to make community, build community with brown folk, black folk, you know, indigenous folk. Like I knew very clearly 
that in order for me to do this for my lifelong practice, I need to, yeah, I need to do the work to build community. And so in the Bay, um, like, you know, actually like a lot of, I guess, coastal places, right? There's a, a good amount of diversity. Um, but luckily in the Bay, there's a really powerful community of um, birth workers of color. And so that was amazing. And also being a person of color from the Midwest who grew up in a, in a predominantly white community, like I also knew how, of how much of a blessing it was and how actually most people across this country, most birth work, most, um, you know, BIPOC birth workers, most queer birth workers and trans birth workers, like most folks don't have their own community reflected in a dominant way. You know, when I say dominant way, meaning like where they can show up in a space and see themselves reflected across many faces, right? So, um, so that's one of the reasons why Birth Bruja came about, like almost, almost at the beginning of my birth work journey was because I was having these conversations. I was reaching out to meet these people, you know, and, and I knew that like this needed to be shared, you know, like I knew that like this wasn't, you know, um, there's so many people who, who are so busy doing the work that they actually don't spend a lot of time talking about it you know like they're not on fucking social media you know they're not like hyping themselves up they're doing the work and so I also knew too like how much of a privilege it was to be uplifting and like um sharing these perspectives for all so for those people that were like me you know like my younger self that felt like I was a fucking weirdo you know that felt like I was never gonna belong anywhere and like you know um sometimes just a single podcast episode can be a lifeline. No, you know, right. And and so then the podcast turned into an online platform. And so now um, each month we host multiple facilitators that speak on a variety of subjects. Some of them such as like ancestral healing. Um, This weekend we have um, a screening on uh, birth, masculine birth of masculine of center beings, right? So trans um, gender non-conforming folks um, giving birth. And then also we have a workshop coming up on supporting folks through the loss of wanted pregnancy. Um, so yeah, now it's a amazing. whole thing. The work you do is amazing. Legit. Like once I ran across your page, I was like, I have to get her on this podcast. <laughs> I was like, I know legit. Cause I love that. <laughs> this is another fact of like what you do. I think, um, like you said, like, um, most people that are doing this work aren't they're just doing the work. They're not like, broadcasting it or um yeah like I guess just so focused on that you know and it's just not that easy I think to find I feel like I'm sure if you do your research you can find them you know but I think to have like a social platform and just having like a podcast behind it and like you said like a podcast episode could really like change someone's like life you know um or at least be the, the little spark you know for something you know yeah. so um no that's awesome that's amazing that's amazing how have you been doing um well how long has uh Rodruja been up for Especially with COVID time, I feel like it's been two years in COVID time. No, um, <laughs> you know, I started the podcast um, probably like two and a half years ago, and then okay. Birth Bruja as a platform, like as an educational platform, which by the way is not just open to birth workers; it's open to anyone interested in this work. Just for the record, because that, that's actually a question I got recently. Um, the online, yeah, the educational platform has really been built out like over this last year. It's like I 
moved to Michigan. I moved back into, you know, I feel like everyone here is fucking white. I mean, for the record, I'm half white. So like I get, you know, I I'm get allowed to say that. Okay. Yeah. I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. It's like, but it's just, it's, yeah, it's just really hard. And so what I did was um, I turned my, my grief of moving out of California and I just poured it into my work. <laughs> and then, and then actually this spring was when I was going to be like, okay, I'm going to start making friends in real life now. And then COVID happened and I'm like, okay, I'll just. Maybe not this spring, honey. Maybe next Yeah. <laughs> I'll just never focus on making in-person friends. I feel like you obviously I mean I, I don't know you well but I feel like um you have such a purpose in the mission that I feel like sometimes yeah you you're fine you have a whole mission you're like I feel like you're fighting for something a lot more like bigger than us in a way you know so I think you're yeah. done um but I was gonna ask you how so you've basically found in this list you make, I love that story of how like you just kind of sat and kind of just like wrote down what you're interested in and went from there. Um, was that like suggested to you or you just started up on your own? Or, like how? Because I feel like that happens to a lot of people. Like I remember, like I saw myself in those shoes too, like years ago. I was like, I hate my job too. I hate what I'm doing. And I'm like, how, like, what can I do? And I kind of just like figured it out. But in a way, um, yeah, like, what made you want to write that list out of stuff? Like, how did you end up there? Well, because at the time, I was still, um, I will, I still had a journal practice, you know, like, through, through high school, specifically, um, journaling was something that kept me sane. Um, again, so I'm a mixed race. Um, my mom's a Mexican descent, my dad's a German descent, predominantly, right? Um, also though they got divorced when I was two and so I grew up with two entirely different realms you know like like my dad um my dad's affluent my mom you know growing up we were like working class at best you know and and so anywho in so many realms I felt like I was just I could relate to everyone but yet no one was my people you know like I was too I was too white to be like Mexican enough, but then I was too brown to be white enough. Like it was just um and that, you know, to yeah. So so that feeling of otherness was um challenging, let alone of course being in high school, like yeah, hormones and, and identity and all that having a body and like having, you know, becoming sexually active and you know, growing up in a Catholic context, right? And then being sexually active. So um, my journal was a place to process a lot of that stuff, especially considering that, that um, you know, the people that I was surrounded by couldn't really relate to most of what I was going through. And so, yeah, therefore, when she hit the fan and I had, I felt like I had like a Carrie Bradshaw moment. Like if <laughs> Carrie Bradshaw had like, yeah, like a, a Mexican filter over like eating can of beans. Oh, because the coffee had some canela in it, you know, had some cinnamon in it. So yeah, like... It was my little mini Carrie Bradshaw moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's such a funny okay, so I was picturing her eating beans like with like, I don't know, this is funny. Okay. <laughs> with a giant, yeah, canela stick hanging out of her <laughs> drip coffee pot. Like, yeah, totally. Funny. So that was why. Yeah. Okay. So how um like 
I guess let's get like to the work. I feel like, I feel like I could talk to you about random shit forever. Um, <laughs> even though it's you. Um, I guess how do you feel based on your work and also your personal experience? Because um, I feel like overall the whole gist of feel better naked is um, just to feel good in this body you have, and also just to like once you're because I, I truly believe like once you're comfortable with yourself, you can therefore like find your purpose, and then from there like because I feel like we're all here for a purpose, you know. Um, yeah. And I think a big part of that that's not spoken about often, especially in like the POC, like people of color community, is like how important um, like sexuality is and intimacy and the experiences we go through growing up, how they affect us and how we don't really heal that, you know, because we just kind of focus on moving forward and we focus on other shit or whatever the hell, you know, no one really looks at your like how relationships in general growing up really affect your persona and your thought process and all that shit, you know? Um, I mean, like, what are your thoughts on how important it is to have, well, overall, a sexual relationship with yourself, but others, and your thoughts on how that affects you and stuff like that? Yeah. So I think also, just to note, right, the, 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 the divine timing yeah. of this recording right now, because um, had we had this last week, I think I would have I answered this question very differently. Um, this past weekend, I led a workshop entitled Reclaiming Sex and Intimacy After Trauma. And it was fucking phenomenal. Um, I'm sorry, that sounds weird. So first off, yes, I am proud of, I am proud of the content I shared. But what, what was fucking phenomenal about it was more of like how people showed up and like the generosity and vulnerability that folks shared. Like that's what made it phenomenal was that people were so generous, you know, with themselves. And so anywho, um, yeah, so when I answer, so therefore now, right, like after having that workshop and then to answer this question, <laughs> yeah, um, I think that like having, all right, sorry, big breath. Also, I'm about to get like, hello. This is a loaded question too, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> about to get hello woo, go in and out of like being woo. So um, knowing that our bodies store memories right our bodies store memories um, imagine like um that when we experience something imagine that we have like a different file for the auditory right for the sounds that we hear we have another file for what it smells like another file for what it feels like you know on our touching our flesh um and then another um um oh can you hear me yeah i can hear you okay cool um and then another file for um you know for the actual like uh intellectual processing of it and so so the majority of those memories live in our body right whether or not we're conscious of it and so what happens when when we experience trauma is one of the brilliant defense mechanisms that our body has that our mind that our brain has too is that it's like okay this is so overwhelming and I need to make sure that I can survive, right? So if I'm so overwhelmed with shock that I can't move or that I can't feed myself or I can't get up and go to work so that I can feed myself, like then I'm not going to be able to, to survive. And so one of the trauma responses is to break those memories up again into fragments okay. and to either completely erase the memory, not erase, basically to cover it up so that we can't access it or to only reveal certain snippets so that we're not overwhelmed with the whole experience, mm. but only parts. And so that's why, um, especially for folks who experience trauma 
at a young age, um, all the way up through their 20s, right? When the brain's in the body is still developing. That's why for those folks especially, it can be really hard for folks to remember. Um, to remember what happened at all or to re only remember snippets. Or sometimes what happens is like certain parts of the memory, like, like maybe we can't remember um, the story of what happened, but what we remember is like the smell, you know? Or on the flip side too, beyond just the senses, um, we have like an emotional memory of what happened. So for some people, they don't remember anything of what happened about the trauma, but every time they hear a trigger, such as maybe it's the sound of a, the click of a locking door, and then all of a sudden this huge rage comes up through their body and they're like, what the fuck? Like, where is that coming from? Or maybe it's like a certain, it's a certain, you know, a name, you know, and all of a sudden someone says that name and they're just completely overwhelmed with grief and they have no idea why, right? So all of these things live in our bodies, right? Um, and of course, this is good memories and, right, like pleasurable memories and challenging memories, but this is all in our literal physical embodiment, right? And also, and this is where like the woo comes in. Um, I mean, I should start from saying that because honestly, like <laughs> we, we, we all know, um, yeah, indigenous traditions across the globe, right? Like recognize the presence of energy, of spirit, of soul, right? And so I need to stop saying woo because I, I say that to try to make white people more comfortable and to make like people who don't believe in energy more comfortable. And I just need to stop saying that. Anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so on an energetic level, right? Um, energy is stored in, in centers. In our, and so therefore, when we have an embodiment practice, like dancing, for example, or like orgasm, it yeah. is utilizing all of the aforementioned technology. It is using our spiritual body, it is using our physical body, it is using, right, it's engaging our emotional body. Um, and so this happens whether or not we're conscious of it. And right. so that's also the beautiful thing about healing is that because everything's interconnected, you don't actually have to be conscious or like intentionally trying to do, have a goal in order for healing to transpire. And mm -hmm. so I say all this about, again, to go back to the question about why, um, reclaiming sexual relationship with ourselves is so powerful because we are reclaiming access to all of this technology mm. you know um and i'm gonna pause there first off did that make sense <laughs> no it did it did legit i just never thought of okay it. the way you broke it down was so amazing that i'm just thinking myself I'm like oh shit like it's very very true and i never um yeah, like kind of like the way you broke it down, like the whole auditory and also your flesh and just how it's all separate in a way. And like, I've just never viewed it that way. Like, that's a really good way to see it. Yeah, no, yeah, it does make sense. You can keep going. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, for me, it's always, um, I mean, I guess with all my work, I find it really fascinating to help dive in deep and understand things as little separate chunks, but then also to see the power of it, right, when it's all connected. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, so having, reclaiming sexual relationships with ourselves, like A, what does sex mean, right? Sex is, and for how way I define it, would be like sensuality, right? So like literal, literal, uh, literal experiences of the senses, 
Um, and then also intimacy, which is like connection to our inner landscapes as well as connection to, when I say outer landscapes, it could be a connection to someone else or it could be in connection to a place or like a spiritual entity. Like, um, yeah, like uh, sexual, again, like because sexual practices require that we use all of our technology of being a human, like, like it can be really simple or it can be really expansive you know, of, of how we use it. Um, and so, yeah, like I, um, sorry, I guess like the one last thing I'm trying, what am I trying to fucking say? So the last point about why like this stuff is so powerful is because when we are born into these bodies, um, I believe, and many people believe that we are coming in with connections and like ties and momentum that was built from past lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And so that means like, Basically, we're bringing baggage and we're bringing strengths from our individual past lifetimes, but also we're bringing in the baggage and we're bringing in the strength of the ancestors that came before us. And so, so many of us, particularly Black and Brown and Indigenous folks, right, particularly um, BIPOC folks, um, we are bringing in, in um, ancestral of strength. Of, of power, but also we're bringing in ancestral memories of specifically sexual violence being used to control our people, to break apart our culture, right? Like literally rape was, is, is continues to be actually a strategic tool used um, by the military industrial complex, right? It was used in the colonization of the U.S. strategically, just as it, as it continues to be used in um, military warfare, right? So we see that now. So knowing too that even if we in this lifetime don't experience what we would call, um, you know, rape, right? Or, or sexual assault, know that in our DNA, we're coming with that wounding. And so therefore, where we do, when we do things like approach our sensuality with curiosity, when we're even remotely curious this is what i said in the workshop actually i like went off on this monologue about the power of satin booty shorts or like just feeling satin against your butt cheeks is one of the most like pleasurable things ever i i also talked about the pleasure of eating a pineapple mm. yes manny it's 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 like bomb manny so like yeah like to be even to, to even approach our own exploration of pleasure is fucking revolutionary and is healing all of the old wounding that genetic wounding that spiritual wounding that told us that told them that you don't deserve pleasure or like you're not safe enough to even consider pleasure right like all of these coatings that just was about shutting down and making us small and keeping us alive and like survival is powerful but you know what? We fucking deserve more. We deserve not just to survive, but to thrive. And right. so that's what cultivating sexual relationships with ourselves is about. It's about making a practice of seeking more than just survival. You're right. And I mean, like, yeah. And it, the first thing that came to my mind was, so I, I'm going to share my personal story with this. Please I do. feel like during, so during COVID, I think for the first time in my life, I finally got connected to like my more female energy side of me. Cause I, I mean, I'm sure like 
back to the whole woo thing, I think we're both, we both have like male and female energy like in us, you know? And I think I was very masculine um, prior to COVID. I never really got in touch with my feminine side, more like maybe through painting, stuff like that, but not really embodying my like female sexuality. I think now that I look back at it, I think I was almost ashamed of it in a way. And I'm sure it's very like ancestral as well because I never been through uh, trauma that I know of, at least in this time, um, like in this lifespan. But like you said, ancestrally, we we happen, you know, like I'm, I'm Dominican. So like, of course, like it did happen, you know? Mm. And um, yeah, but I, I feel like um, I realized that once I kind of got more connected to my female sexuality and my sensuality and started exploring my body, not only like through just simple like masturbation, but also through just natural flowing and just like natural movement. And I started, girl, to be blunt, I started doing like, a weird nighttime ritual, not weird, let me not judge it, a nighttime ritual where I would just like put on these neon lights I have, put on like whatever I felt sexy in at the moment and just like do some weird style of yoga, like my own yoga flow with like some twerking involved, just weird movements of things that felt so good and so empowering in a way that I legit think heals so much that I'm able to even be more intimate now. Like, and I realized, like, now I realize this, like, mind you, like, I've been through a whole marriage and divorce, and, like, I think I'm able to get more intimate with people and, like, my friends and even, like, relationships than prior. And I think a lot of it had to do with, like, healing my, or at least beginning to heal, like, my females or my, my sexuality in general, you know? And that's why I feel like, um, when I definitely, like, saw your page, I was like, dude, like, we have to talk about this because I feel like, um, especially female sexuality or women in general sexuality is very like repressed it's very like almost shunned upon and on top of that all our ancestral like trauma as well it's like it's just not fucking helping (laughs) at all and it's like crazy um I mean yeah and I feel like a lot of our I mean you probably speak about it more than me but I think a lot of our generation now um we lack and we struggle so much with intimacy and not only like sexually, like, you know, with a partner, but also like even with friendships and even like with our families, like being able to connect on a soul level is just not as common anymore or not as accessible rather even. Cause I mean, a lot of, um, and I mean, we're talking about women, but this also applies to men too. Like, you know, a lot of men don't even know what intimacy is, which is like interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, do you, I, I think intimacy and owning sexuality are very linked. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Absolutely. I mean, what, first off, um, if you don't mind, like, I think you, you just, you really powerfully just described like the close up, right. Scenario that like the individual impact of, and then if we zoom out, um, of patriarchy, of rape culture, of homophobia, right. Systemic oppression in this culture is absolutely 100% involved in our individual experiences of oppression and trauma and violence, right? And so capitalism requires that we focus on our, ourselves as an individual. Capitalism requires that we always feel less than, right? That we aren't enough, that, oh, I need more money to get this, or, oh, I need to pay more training to get this because I'm not enough, right? Right. Um, it cultivates this, this 
shape, energetic and emotional and mental shape of being disconnected to others because there's not, you know, of, cause of scarcity. Right. And so it makes sense that that would be, um, that that would be present, not just in how we relate to each other, but also how we relate to ourselves. Right. Like you mentioned, um, earlier about how a vast majority of people, I think they're so caught up in trying to survive that they don't actually, they're not able to cultivate the room and the practices to connect with themselves in order to have more emotional, like emotional intelligence, right? Have more understanding of like who they are and what they want and who they want to be. Um, and the other thing too that came up, you know, hearing you just now is about how like, you know, you're talking about healing, right? And like reclaiming your own sensuality. And one of the things that I've seen in my work, in birth work and outside of it, is the is the connection between healing and justice work. Mm. You know? So healing is something that can happen individually, is something that can happen collectively, but it doesn't always mean that we're actually making change to the systems and to the actions and the practices that harm us, right? And so when we incorporate healing and justice at the same time, that means that we are working to create change culturally and systemically, right? While also doing that internal and spiritual and emotional healing work, right? And then vice versa. Sometimes people get so caught up in changing systems and dismantling systems that they don't give any room to, to, to talking about what to build in its place, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so and so an example too, I guess also, I guess it's feel, that I'm feeling it's important to talk about is like, as especially for folks of color, a lot of us come from from backgrounds and from you know countries that where the human means that you are inherently targeted, right? So like so for a lot of places outside of the U.S. specifically, having being identified as a female means that you are a target for rape, for um, manipulation, right? For murder, etc. And so in the States, obviously that dynamic still exists, but it's, it's different. You know, yeah. we have a little more privilege as a, as a, a with a, a, especially a cis female identity here in the States. And so in the States now, I think we have an opportunity because of the privilege that's afforded us here, we have an opportunity to be healing our wounds related to the oppression that we've experienced as, as a female, as, a, as cis women, but also we have a chance to simultaneously do that and heal um, the other spectrums of gender-based violence right. right and so um and so again like in birth work for example there's a lot of like women you know women-centered spaces I think are really powerful and needed and it's also possible to have women-centered spaces that also bring in accessibility to experiences that are beyond just being cis women you know um, and I'm just saying that too, because again, like, I'm not saying that everyone has to always be everything to, you know, to the community, like, right. Like the women's centered spaces doesn't always have to be for everyone all the time, but it's important to acknowledge this because it's important for us to acknowledge who's being welcomed into our spaces and who's intentionally being left out, you know? So, sorry, I, as a birth worker, I have to say that because birth work is so fucking overtly um exclusive like yep. if you're not a cis woman most birth workers don't give a fuck about you and so therefore i have to say that so no no i think it's great because honestly like you know 
a thought that came to my mind when we were speaking earlier. I was like, as a woman of color, like I feel like I wouldn't, like I feel like I would have to go out of my way to educate myself about birth work, which is crazy. And I feel like that doesn't apply to like most white women, honestly. I feel like it's very just different. And I feel like, like you said, like I don't see much people that look like me doing stuff like that in a way. And I feel like it's it's very like, it's just, I don't know, the thought just came to my mind. I was like, it's very true. It's okay. So again, to your point, you can say whatever you want. It's fine. <laughs> um, but I kind of also want to like, touch up. So I guess what, um, I guess if you can give like a tip or a few tips on how to start reclaiming your sexuality, if you've never even explored that, like where, yeah. like where do you start? Yeah. All right. So I'm speaking, I'm going to answer this the way I would answer to someone that I'm working with right so so whether or not you um whether or not we identify as experiencing sexual violence or being a survivor the fact is is that if we grew up and also knowing too right in this conversation we're centering folks who identify as female right whether they're cis or or otherwise um just being socialized as female in this society means that we every day in our lives experience a certain level of violence. So also for anyone who's gone in, and this is not obviously exclusive to people who are socialized as female, but like if, if you go into the OB for a pap smear, for anything reproductive health oriented, um, just the physical experience of going in and receiving that care can be, can be wounding. It can be traumatizing because yeah. a lot of times we're just treated as a body, right? We, um, especially, I had a dollar for how many times I fucking gone in and like I found myself trying to keep my pain to myself because I didn't want to like interrupt my care provider's efficiency you know like it's yeah. just so strange to so me and so any <laughs> yeah so so OB care the way that um if we bleed you know the way the shame and the way that we are taught to like manage our menstruation so again, even if we haven't experienced quote unquote overt violent experiences, the fact is that just being living in this society, we have certain shapes that disconnect us from our body because our bodies are inherently problematic, right? right? Our sexuality belongs to our Girl, parents. That, that was such a powerful statement. It's so, it's so true. It's so fucking yeah. true. It's crazy. Yep. Um, our sexuality belongs to our parents until it belongs to our partner, our sexuality begins when we, um, what's supposed to begin, shall we say, when, when we find a male partner to tell us and show us, right? right. Um, the shape of our bodies, the way we adorn our bodies is supposed to be in reflection to um, what people expect of us or what they want of us. Like, it's just so inherently disempowering. And so therefore, knowing that, I say this to kind of normalize this starting point about how so many of us reach you know this point where it's like it's like okay i want to have a better relationship with my sexuality and i, I don't know where to fucking begin because it's hard right so i just want to normalize that starting point so therefore one of the ways to approach this is to actually focus on things outside of the bedroom shall we say right so therefore i go back to the example of eating pineapple by yourself eyes closed, blindfolded, and just really utilize all your attention trying to experience the pleasure of what you're putting in your mouth. Same sort of thing about like 
um, putting on a piece of clothing that's, that feels good against your skin and then being curious on just like how it drags, how the fabric drags across your skin. Doing that a beautiful example that you did about um, putting, uh, you know, creating a safe space for yourself in your room, shall we say, where, and you're just moving your body the way that it wants to move, even if it quote unquote feels weird, right? You're just approaching embodiment, you're approaching sensuality with curiosity, you know, not trying to, again, when I say curiosity, meaning it's just about feeling things in that moment, it's not trying to get to a certain destination. Right. You know, you're not, you're not trying to feel sexy. You're not trying to orgasm or orgasm in a certain way, right? Like you're just being, you're just, you know, exploring what exactly. Um, that is really super powerful because, again, we are taught by this society that um, we shouldn't be prioritizing our own, we shouldn't be prioritizing our own pleasure that we should be instead prioritizing everyone else's pleasure, everyone else's needs and desires over ours. So by doing these practices outside of the, of the bedroom, again, should I say, um, we are strengthening that muscle that like I deserve to experience pleasure. And it also strengthens our ability to pay attention to when something is pleasurable for us, you know? Right. Um, so, so yeah. So that sensual practice is like really, really helpful. Another thing too is um, is practicing communication. Sorry, it's like cutting off. Did so it? literally asking for what we. Oh, sorry. Well, I, don't um, think, I think it's me. Practicing communication. My damn building. I don't know if you hear it. <laughs> it's okay. I keep going. So practicing communication. Yeah, yeah. So communication is not just how we talk to others; it's how we talk to ourselves as well. Oh, you that. know, okay. right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> And so a lot of times, how can we, how can we even begin to ask from the world what we don't even know what to ask for ourselves, oh right? So, so I have so even seemingly small things. Let's just say you and I were chatting and we were talking and all of a sudden my energy is crashing and I know that I really want to get off this phone call, but you're like super into it and they're like, I love you. And so like, I want to be there for you. So what happens is then this phone call continues for another like 45 minutes. And then by the end of it, I am drained. Right. I'm drained. I'm stressed out, you know, like, and so our interaction leaves me feeling like shit. Mm -hmm. Right. And so how can I even attempt to hold you accountable or how can I attempt to ask you for help if I can't even articulate to myself to notice when my energy is shifting to notice what it is that could make me feel better, you right. know, L like, you know, like that, that it's, again, it's that inner connection when we can better identify what are the signs of our needs. Like, like what are the signs that I'm struggling? What are the signs that like, I need to take, pay attention to my body, you know, like, and so by noticing those smaller signs, it gives us more of a chance to change direction. So maybe instead of ending the call with you, I'm like, all right, when was the last time I ate? I'm going to eat a snack you know, and see if that makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. So, so like, again, those seem, so, so having better boundaries outside of the bedroom with ourselves, having better communication with ourselves and with others outside of the bedroom means that when we're in the bedroom, even when we're by ourselves, we can better articulate like, all right, like this feels okay, but 
I think this can feel better. So I'm going to try changing positions, you know, because that, and I use that example specifically because um, you'd actually be surprised how many folks I've worked with where they're trying to rebuild their own sexual relationship and they're so used to being passive that even when they're by themselves, it doesn't occur to them that they can change positions, <laughs> that they can like, like go ahead and grab an entire, that they can actually stop what they're doing, put more lube on the toy and go back because yeah. they're so used to other people defining and dictating how, what the journey looks like that it's like, we need to even develop enough awareness to even notice that like, you know, our bits are kind of dry and our bits deserve more moist, you know, deliciousness. Well, legit, like I'm laughing because I literally experienced that. I'm not even kidding. Like, pro like to be blunt and open, like my self bedroom practice prior me practicing that whole sensuality thing I was telling you about versus mm -hmm. like now it's very different and I think a lot of it has to do with what you're saying how like I gotten just to be more self-aware and know myself more that it's just it's just different so yeah I totally yeah I'm just it's just crazy you're really putting into words what I experienced it's just it's fun. thank you for listening I hope you guys enjoyed this episode stay tuned for next week for part two of this episode um if you guys enjoyed it please tag us on Instagram uh, our Instagram link is below fearbarrennaked.co make sure to look at the show notes you can go follow uh, Ari also and thanks for listening you guys found it helpful share with your friends give us a rating on iTunes let me know your thoughts DM us have a great rest of your week and we'll catch you guys next Wednesday